<laughs> this is my podcast. I never know how to start it because this is my first ever one, so I don't know. Uh, hello. Um, so I guess just go ahead and introduce yourself to anybody that's listening. Okay. Well, I am Jessica Middlebrook, mm-hmm. and I am the student counselor here at Coal Falls College. I am a licensed professional counselor as well as a certified addictions counselor. I've been serving here at Coal for the about past year. And I've really enjoyed my time here. Um, so that's about me professionally mm-hmm. and personally. I've been married to my husband, Casey, for uh, a little over 10 years. And I've got a little boy named Coleman. He's five. He's the cutest on our toes. And I'm the um, children's pastor and worship leader at uh, God's Way Bible Church here in Coal. Oh, that's so, so cool. Crazy for me. Yeah, that is, yeah I can imagine. Um, so I guess my first question is why did you choose to go into addictions counseling? Oh, also to preface, we're talking about addictions right. <laughs> and addictions counseling <laughs> for anyone's listening. Um, so yeah, why did you decide to go into addictions counseling specifically? What that like drew you to that? I guess when you were yeah. In so it's really interesting how God works things out. So when I was um, in my um, grad school, um, my undergrad was in ministry. I felt called into counseling ministry. I really wasn't sure what area. I kind of thought it would be something along the lines of working with men. Um, and so when I was taking my classes, I had that on my mind. But when it comes back to counseling, and the Lord got me with my um, supervisor, his name is Dan Godfrey. Uh, Dan was asking me, he said, Jessica, what type of counseling do you think you want to do? And I said, well, he said, can you name one thing I know I don't want to do is addictions. <laughs> I said, so. <laughs> I'm ironic. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So I first started working at um, Redeeming Love, which is a women's counseling center. Um, it was here in Capella. Mm-hmm. I think they may still be open. I'm not 100% sure, but I worked there. While I was doing my practicum there, um, one of the counselors I got introduced to was an addictions counselor who was working at a drug treatment center in Gainesville. So um, I was looking for an internship beyond that, and uh, Deb told me about the help, about where she worked and how they were looking for somebody to come in and how I could possibly be the one and have like a job while I'm in the internship. So I was faithful with that, and I went to the interview, and I thought I completely bombed my interview. I was an hour late. I made it wrong. Not really an hour late. Maybe more like... <laughs> 45 minutes late because wow. I did the wrong turn. I didn't know they're going to think I'm incompetent and not hire me. And I got in there and the interview went fine. And then from there, it's like, well, yeah, you want to, we know you're going to do your internship. That's fine. But we know we'd like for you to come in and do counseling. And I got in there and I loved it. And I was really enjoying it. And they're like, you know, if you want to get um, certified in addictions, we'll take care of all the supervision hours you need. And pay for it, sign it for you to take the tests and everything. So I said, okay. And God kind of handled that. And now I'm so glad because being able to work in the area of addictions is just very rewarding. Mm -hmm. And um, with not having, having some family members that had issues with alcohol and Mm -hmm. things like that, but it was somebody that I was about super, super close to. Um, I was just going to work that, but they were able to work that out, and I was glad that he did. So yeah. it was kind of a weird thing, going from, I don't want to yeah. do this, to, I love this. That's so interesting. <laughs> that's so crazy. But I feel like that's definitely shows, like, God's work, yes. his hand in our lives. Yes. Which, it's just so cool to, like, hear stories like that. Mm-hmm. So that, since you said you worked at Redeeming Love, I'm assuming that you've lived in Capella your whole life. No, I've lived in the area my whole life. I've lived uh, in Carnesville. So it's that's about... Yeah, so here in Georgia, it's in Franklin County, so it's about 32 minutes from campus. Um, our church is in Tacoa, so it's one of those things, like, there are a lot of things are in Tacoa, yeah. but we still live in Carnesville, yeah. so. So everything is kind of a commute. Yes, yes, okay. everything is a commute, but uh, we have a little car to live out to there. There's not many people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, that's something, like, that reminds me, my parents definitely, uh, they value that because they live, mm-hmm. <laughs> for if they're listening, no offense, they live in the middle of nowhere. You know, there's no, how like, it's like, sure. they live on my Nana's ranch, mm-hmm. so, like, uh, each house is, like, a mile away. Mm-hmm. So, oh, there's wow. fields of, like, grass and cows, and I'm a city girl. Like, I'm a people sure. person, so mm-hmm. I like to be around people. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> that's really cool. So, my next question is, what is a quick summary of how the addiction counseling process usually goes? 
so typically how that goes, I think it's best to think of it in these terms of um, pre-contemplation, contemplation, action, and maintenance, which this can work for several different areas of issues that people struggle with mm -hmm. um, when they need counseling and addictions counseling so like for the pre-contemplation phase it's basically somebody who's like they're still active in their addiction and they don't want to change they can do it again you know like they don't want to even though they may know there's a problem they don't want to admit that there's a problem yeah and that they need help yeah. contemplation is when maybe a loved one to reach out to them or a prayer or they're starting to see for themselves you know i need help mm -hmm. um maybe I am ready for help, but they haven't made a definite commitment mm -hmm. yet. Now the action stage is when they come in and they may still be in between contemplation and action when they come in. It's like, maybe I wanna do this, maybe I don't, uh, let's see. And then they ask some questions and they introduce themselves through the process again and talk to them about different modes of treatment, you know, what kind of work works mm -hmm. for them, are they doing outpatient clinic, are they doing inpatient deep yeah. detox, um, are they doing residential that's going to require, you know, six months to a year of a rehab, mm -hmm. um, and then when you help them determine what's best for them, then they go into full action, it's like, okay, here's the steps. Here's the skills. Uh, here's changing their habits. Here's the material that's going to work good for you, whether that's AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, NA, Alcoholics Anonymous Group, Addiction-Based Celebrate Recovery, mm -hmm. um, more of a humanistic-based um, SMART groups type mm -hmm. thing. It's about real yeah. me-centered type thing mm -hmm. um, for people to be able to try. So they're in that stage, they're starting to put in the work, and you just, like any other type of counseling, you know, we have GPS, you mm -hmm. can go here, you can go here, um, and while in other modes of counseling, you know, you want to be more person-centered, keeping in mind that, especially with the beginning of addiction, um, you're going to have to draw back on that person-centered, focus on them and what's best for them, but realize that due to the addiction being in the driver's seat, mm -hmm. it can't be. Totally yeah. going to leave the person centered. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So that means you're not putting a lot of focus on trying to make them like come. It's more so drawing out like what they need versus like what they might want with comfort. Exactly. You, you want to keep that first little bit of that approach of how do we keep you alive? Yeah. And how do we keep you out of jail? Yeah. And then once that starts to even out, then okay, now you're not a risk to yourself. So basically, when that person has got to a situation to where they're back, they're the one that you're dealing with, mm -hmm. and you're not dealing with uh, the substance, not the substance itself. Because there's a big difference between dealing with someone who's sober and dealing with someone who has let a substance hijack mm -hmm. their personality, yeah. so to speak. Well, it's really interesting that there's like so many different people and so many different activities mm -hmm. and resources that they can use. Yes. There's tons of different things. And once they get to the point to where they're sober and they've been sober for a while, then you go into the maintenance. Okay, these are the skills that are working for you. Let's help you maintain them. Mm -hmm. um, understanding, too, that while maintenance does tend to be the relapse, and but you don't have to go all the way back to pre-contemplation and all that. Sometimes you just get up in the action, which is what you're doing so far. I, I, it reminds me of, actually, I don't know why this didn't pop in my head, but I knew somebody a long time um, who, she was, oh my gosh, like she used to be struggle a lot with alcohol, and then she mm -hmm. told me stories of things like she blacked out on the stairs, she can't have any stomach pumps, she even at one point, before we met, she even did heroin, and I won't say her name, like, we don't really talk anymore, but it's interesting, I don't know if she, but also later on she did tell me that she was diagnosed, I think, with borderline mm -hmm. personality disorder, so yeah. I think it was a big part, and I mean, I knew her story, so right. a lot, it was caused, I'm pretty sure, by a lot of the trauma oh, yes. that she went through oh, yes. as a kid, so 
So trauma can be a big precursor of other mental health disorders, whether we're talking about co-occurring disorders. Yeah, comorbidity, co-occurring. It's interesting how much language yeah. stuff changes for a while. Yeah. It was co-occurring. It's changed to uh, comorbidity. Okay. Um, but um, like someone can be bipolar mm-hmm. or borderline or PTSD and during this period of time self-use of I feel like that kind of leads into one of the layers I think I was going to ask about, um, like, misconceptions. Like, what you believe some misconceptions society puts that comes, when it comes to using struggle with addiction, I feel like one of those is, like, it's just something maybe people see, but, like, they don't know a lot of what's behind it is, like, mental illness and things that, yes. sometimes, like, that mental, because I know some mental illness can develop based on, like, trauma, but I, mm-hmm. but some is just, like, chemical. Yeah. Most definitely. I agree because I feel like a lot of times people want to just throw the um, ideas that when you struggle with addiction, it's like a strictly moral um, condition. Yeah. Of course. And while, yes, it is, you know, you're not a complete robot, but there are things you can pick up at. So take, for example, someone who becomes dependent upon opiates. Research has suggested that a lot of times why that happens is these people their natural opiate receptors mm-hmm. don't work properly. So that their brains don't produce the natural amount of opiates like um, like it should. Mm-hmm. So when they take something, so say they're fed dental work or surgery and the doctor prescribes them and they they take that for the first time, not only do they have the pain relief that they needed, but they still have addictions to it and mm-hmm. they're unable to take their natural opiate receptors like Along with that, while you take a synthetic, <coughs> comes often at that high, you know, high tolerance, and you're getting used to it, and more and yeah. more and more and more and more. Mm-hmm. So it's really sad. As a result, I hate seeing people want to automatically just jump all the way to their medication mm-hmm. because addiction persists. Yeah. Um, and with that, then you get on top of that. You don't want to throw out more conditions, mm-hmm. but you know, you have to keep the stigma down. Yeah, and I've heard. Yeah. I've heard even, like, that some people just have a more, like, I, I don't know if you actually think of, like, addictive personality, but, like, they're so much so much more susceptible to yes. things, like, addictions in general. Would you feel like that's true for you as well? Yeah. So, I have heard, and I know the school of thought for it is not necessarily an addictive personality, mm-hmm. but they do believe that there are um, disorders that cause them to be more susceptible ADHD is one of them. So the poor people involved um, that stem feeding would be a big one. Um, if you're dealing with like a trauma, PTSD, anything like that, like just wobble. Try to maintain that. What happens with it? Um, so that you know that may take this. And then um, genetics is a big one too for a long time. Alcoholism. I mean, I guess it's crazy that I realized, I didn't realize how genetic it could be and how, just how genetic it could be until, like, somebody that I knew last year was like, yeah, like, I struggle with this too because it's actually genetic. And I was like, no way, that's true. And they're like, yeah, like, there's a component of it that's genetic. And I was like, I feel like if a lot of more people knew that, it would change, like, the way they view. And because, I mean, I at the time and I never knew that you know mm-hmm. I feel like you need to have mm-hmm. that kind of education right and I've started to realize that with a lot more other aspects of like in learning the more awareness and education I get about different things the more I tend to have more like empathy for people struggling with yes. this not just addictions but like just I mean you know going into sexuality and stuff like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. yes yes most definitely yeah. most definitely so okay um, I guess if you could tell anyone, like everyone in the world or whoever's listening to this, one thing that you've learned or that you feel they should know about addiction is what would it be? Like 
so much. Is this anything like that you think is like important or? Sure, sure. I think for just the most important thing for the average person, for the Christian, for someone who's in ministry, is to never forget that attitude of gratitude. Um, I think a lot of times people want to say that, but it comes first. It just mm-hmm. comes, and then I have to sort of first, mm-hmm. and then forgiveness comes later. I just see there's such a variety of people that I would see mm-hmm. people come in that look more like what people would think of as the stereotypical Catholic, mm-hmm. uh, and then I see people come in that are just people come in with, you know, high-ranking jobs, high-floor jobs, mm-hmm. uh, like big things, big employment, and say this to me, can you name one? And when you get that in, you just know that it's there, you can just see it. Why they have these attitudes of gratitude that they do. But they're not gratitude. It's eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, this church matters to us. Christianity is a lifestyle. Food and video games come from the economic slavery that we are in. Mm-hmm. Um, abortion is abortion. Mm-hmm. Another abortion report is anything, any substance used other than drink or water to help achieve a desired death. Yeah. So take Christ happy right now and don't feel better today. You don't need to spend like three hours on TikTok like you <laughs> yeah. do. Getting my getting my work done, or um, I just have to numb the pain some way. So I know this person needs to get to me, but don't let me go do things to them that I know that I shouldn't, because I know it's going to make me feel better for a week or two later. Um, I can't do anything about it, but people can become addicted to anything. Addicted to the screen, and it's not respected. Addiction is not respected. And I, that, um, I feel like that takes the fact that, um, like you said, addicted to this, is I've noticed as well that, especially when I took my theology of culture class last semester, mm-hmm. it definitely opened my eyes to how we have such a tendency when we're not, like, as filled, like, I don't want to say as filled with God's love, but when we don't have our focus on Christ as much, mm-hmm. we tend to do that to a lot of people, like the church, you know, anyway. Oh, yeah. We tend to see, like, the sin and not the person. And that was a big thing I learned um, in such a controversial topic in that class, which was transgenderism. Mm-hmm. And we read a book about it and, like, four different views. Like, mm-hmm. super good. Mm-hmm. Um, but super eye-opening. And I was like, I've have I, for a majority of my life, because of, you know, how I was raised mm-hmm. and, like, mm-hmm. just my own mentality, looked at people, you know, who have struggled with transgenderism or chosen this lifestyle or just, you know, have not even chosen, but, like, have this natural inclination mm-hmm. towards it, have I looked at them through this, you know, sin lens and not seen them as a person first? Mm-hmm. And I now I feel like now I start to look at any sin, any, like, person who struggles with any sin. And I feel like that's what we, at least a lot of, maybe the church I've noticed, they tend to do, to see the sin and not the person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when you said even going back to, um, and I have been learning in my as a normal class. I think it was uh, I can't remember, but I do. Um, it reminded me of that friend that I was talking about earlier that suffered um, from like alcoholism or like mm-hmm. drugs, mm-hmm. and she had B- BPD. She did. I think with that disorder, it is like they tend to have like things like curses. Yes, right? it, it goes back and forth, but yes, for a time, yeah, I can't, favorite. I looked mm-hmm. into it a little bit, but she did have, it did almost feel, and even other people saw it, that, like, as a friend, she was almost addicted to our friendship and, like, being yes. around me. Yes. And after I kind of, we drifted, I noticed that, and I was like, that's crazy, but it, like, there's so many signs, and so many people around us saw it, and I was like, wow, like, I'm talking about it now, I, mm-hmm. I can, mm-hmm. I can see that, um. Um, so what, what are your favorite verses when it comes to fighting addiction and how can people, like, respect you in this? So I think 
that the Bible is a gorgeous thing that truly came by mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. meaning of the Bible is the Holy Word, mm-hmm. Word of God, and there's a lot of things that we need to understand. Mm-hmm. We need to feed our minds. We need to give our souls our food mm-hmm. that we need. Right now, just um, I think one of my favorite scriptures is um, just Psalms 121, and it's good for so many different things. We'll go to the guideline prediction, like the guideline um, depression, guideline anxiety, or anything that you've got going on. It is, it, I don't know, it just is super comforting. David, it says, I will lift up my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. You will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is the shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forever and ever. I love it. It's like my favorite right now. It's been my favorite for a while. But just no matter what, the Lord has you from the palm of his hand, especially for the first generation that will be born. That's what comes at least Give us everything that we need. Um, you know, Psalms one forty five. I think it is. Um, it talks about how God opens up His hands and then gives the desire, gives the desire of the living things. Mm-hmm. That's what we pray for. Um, as His children, we call Him Daddy. He promises you that if you pray, He'll never be weary. the knowledge that your kids never change for you. Yes. He is always the same. Mm-hmm. So, and that's something I've recently been realizing more and more of, in everything that I'm learning, it's like, no matter what, that's something I can always exactly. keep on them. Exactly. And the fact that he neither slumbers nor sleeps, you know, doesn't even doze off or anything. Mm-hmm. So when you're sleeping at night, he's there. Yeah. He's not going anywhere. And it's <laughs> it's like, it's so good because I've like, um, I've been talking about recently or thinking about recently is how like you know there's this misconception that like in the church you always have to be happy and you always have to be joyful mm-hmm. and that's good but it's like there's almost this looking down upon when you're depressed or when we're sad and it's like no matter what we're feeling no matter what stage or where we're at we can always rest like especially for someone who deals with depression and like persistent depression mm-hmm. you know that doesn't just go away in a few mm-hmm. years they can always rest that God is in their presence no matter how they feel. And it's not just like, it's not that when they're like upset or depressed, like God is like, this is, you know, this is not my thing. I'm going to go away and pray to death. Mm -hmm. Like, no, like God is there no matter what. And that's, that's something I've loved to look at universally when learning in school and Mm -hmm. especially in like my uh, systematic class. Mm -hmm. And, And the verse that I actually thought of that's, I really love when it comes to that, is like at least for me is I know when I like I'm not feeling as well or struggling with with school or whatever in relationships I there's a verse that's got my attention is in Joshua one eight which says this book of the law shall not shall not depart from your mouth but shall meditate on it day and night mm-hmm. so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success in just the fact that he says you shall know meditate it on it day and night mm-hmm. is so important to me yeah. throughout the years I've realized like how important it is not just to our faith but to feel God's presence and mm-hmm. to be reminded constantly that he's there about yeah. us and that about you know just his commands for us yes so. 
Yes, we always say that we always go in when they get out of natural care constantly in the night, every moment, every day. Yeah. Uh, just because it's a great thing. It's definitely been something that I, like ever since I was diagnosed with MRI three years ago, that's something that I've brought up a lot and talking to people is that the two most important things I would I would say is like, I mean, every day at every moment is caring and reading and talking. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's so life-giving. Yeah. Like, God is, is speaking to you and then you're speaking to God. So, I wanted to put down where it says, do you believe that the idea of boundaries plays a role in your consulting? Like, do you think it's effective um, when you're trying, when you're counseling somebody, when, like, teaching them how to have boundaries with others, um, with themselves, mm-hmm. and stuff like that? I do. I do. I think boundaries are very important when it comes to, like, anything, mm-hmm. but in addictions especially. Um, because a lot of times, you know, when somebody comes in and they're like, okay, well, I want to be able to go back to my family's house for Thanksgiving, although my family just wants to see the music, mm-hmm. you know, some of them, like this particular family member, and it's okay, you know, well, this isn't saying that you're weak, but out of respect for yourself, mm-hmm. do you think it's okay to do the inventories down by the car, or should we set up something? Should we say, hey, you want to go? And have Thanksgiving at my house. Um, drive yourself. Know if that family member shows up and is acting, what, acting strange, mm-hmm. acting up to something. Um, and so it's drive yourself. You don't have to write it down. You can just verbalize it with your voice. Mm-hmm. And having a monologue is, I think, is something that we can come across with people when we're just in jest. We tell people we're going to heal them. We tell people we're going to write it off. And so then that somebody comes out that's kind of a little bit controverted about the medication and they're going to learn. And I'm going to take it from the preface, you know, I just said, you know, if they put their hand down on the cookie jar, <laughs> they're not going to just leave their little hand in there. Mm-hmm. They're going to come out with a handful of cookies. Mm-hmm. And um, realizing that it's a distraction and it's something that needs to come out of the cookie jar um, and not allowing yourself to be put into a situation to where you're like, oh, Yes, you can, you know, get your points for sure, but it's time to heal. Mm-hmm. But you should never feel bad if you don't have to feel like you can't have food. Mm-hmm. Or have recovering alcoholic when I come back. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, can we get some Great Eastern Jail? No. Can't hang out with my family. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you're five years recovered, okay, maybe. If you're three months recovered, don't think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. But there again too like I was saying there in the beginning guarding that person centered defense when you realize that you know they're not a danger to others or a danger to themselves anymore and then encouraging them to look at the non-decisions that being well to the others that maybe can you not yet but realize you know that they're on their they are their own individual and if they choose to you should go for it Mm -hmm. encourage them support them and if they succeed, celebrate them. If they fail, don't belabor the fact. Like, I don't think anybody's ever going to do this. And like, I told you so. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, hey, what did you learn from this? How can I be better? What decision is that you made when you came in? Is it okay? What are some ways that you can do this the next time? Don't be so distracted. Things come out so bad, good things out, just find new things to fill those gaps. But encouraging appropriate boundaries at appropriate times is huge. Mm-hmm. For anybody, whether that's social boundaries, emotional boundaries, relational boundaries. Maybe it's I don't personally, you know, didn't abuse with a parent, mm-hmm. but stuff about the parent hurt them in some, you know, a way. emotional distress mm-hmm. I don't say causes because you're not responsible directly responsible mm-hmm. for actions but 
Um, so, <laughs> so one time I remember having that and the way things were um, set up where I was, um, unfortunately, I was not the first to come to the door. Um, uh, my office was a little bit bigger than wow. here. Well, it wasn't a very big office at all. Um, and he goes, the gentleman, um, 6'3", pretty big guy, real big guy. Um, and um, I said, what's your name, sir? talking about and I said you have this and this and this in here got mad at me he had these like stretch lines mm -hmm. so he proceeded to stand up and throw me at me with his eyes and his other stretch lines and at this point you know the whole fight flight freeze and dissociate yeah. that kicks in I hit fight mode <laughs> oh gosh so <laughs> my sh short little Five foot two and three fourths self stands up, looking up at him. I start to yell back, uh -huh. which and at this point in time, you know I'm still a newborn. I'm still mm -hmm. learning. Now I know so much better, <laughs> but out of being scared, I yelled back. He sat back down. He never yelled at me again oh, wow. after that, which was interesting. I thought it was very, very interesting that he never did that again. Yeah, it's like you put in the wrong answer. I know, I did, the, I did the wrong thing, but I got a good result out of it, <laughs> so I don't recommend That's doing funny. that. But I went and I staffed it very well with his counsel after the fact, and he said, he goes, when that happens again, not good. <laughs> yeah. When you find yourself in this situation ever again, he said, don't be so angry. He said, mm -hmm. you've got to lower that anger. So the next time I found myself in a situation like that, um, I remember because that happened a long time ago, um, a female client was coming into one of the buildings and um, throwing me and she was acting in that um, and she came in and she was just mean, really cussing, cussing and so rather than mocking her, Fearful, I do. Yeah. I'm gonna yell at you because you're yelling at me. Yeah. <laughs> Both. So, but yeah, I had to learn that new stretch line and how to execute properly under yeah. generous circumstances. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. Um, I. It's so interesting that we are a most of a result of our environment. And so the way that works is if you show them, you know, where you're at and they're like naturally inclined for that and mm -hmm. like calm down mm -hmm. less. I love that part of counseling because yes. we can like do that without even like telling them we need to calm down and like talk to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And all that. Right. Right. You know? Right. Because that would be following us along and just kind of dismissing everything else. better job than it already is when it comes to people in this congregation that feel addiction and also like even acknowledge that that's yeah. in your church because I just recently had a conversation about or not a conversation I watched a video about this um, Christian psychologist saying how like churches don't even like it's like an us and them kind of yes you know view of like we're us and there's people out there that they don't realize that in their own congregation there's so many different mm -hmm. churches and so mm -hmm. many different people like struggling with them stuff like that mm -hmm. and it's not having this acknowledgement that it's they're with you whether you know it or not and they need to pick it back up exactly we forget sometimes that just like a hospital is for sick people the mm -hmm. church is for sick people too we all struggle with this we all have things that are difficult for us um, I think we need to be mindful of that it yeah. does not matter if you're 
addiction is measured relationships and the person on the opposite end of the two for each level is um friendships mm-hmm. you come together because every level represents yourself mm-hmm. you see the individual and you help that individual get the help that they deserve mm-hmm. whether it's taking more counseling services available to the church mm-hmm. they really feel like the church as a whole needs to guide them on how to better handle the help social services mm-hmm. type things where the church could be helping out mm-hmm. a lot of stuff and helping people. Yeah. Um, and we don't really see that. And I think that that gets really sad, you know, when, like you said, the us versus them, mm-hmm. as opposed to especially when you see the ladies that are drug addicts. Mm-hmm. You see them in that way, like, oh, if somebody was drug addict, then I was like, Natural pregnancy testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And helping them out how to get their mate worse than they were. Yeah, but I, I think that we need to get rid of the fighting type mm-hmm. One of those, and that the churches that do this, I think, celebrate recovery is a great thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're doing that, keep going. Forget about their families. Mm-hmm. Take care of the families that you know that you have hurt and disappointed. Yeah, and that definitely will help. I feel like it's a reminder for Jesus to not forget who they are. Mm-hmm. And we constantly talk about that, but it's like, are we actually doing that? Right. Like, that's a big narrative that I've noticed is we say these things, we talk about them, but are our actions doing it? Yes. Like, the old church that I used to go to in Middle Georgia. What I really liked about, they not only focused on listening, but they focused on their own community, their inner community. And, like, during, like, Sunday school, they'd be like, yeah, like, this Saturday, we're, like, something different that they don't do every Saturday. We're helping somebody replace their roof. Mm -hmm. And it was a complete stranger. Like, it wasn't a part of anyone in our congregation. Mm -hmm. It was just, like, they were trying to help their community. And I love, I mean, I kind of, I took that aspect of my church for granted when I left because I was like, the church I do hang out with is really good. Mm -hmm. But that's one aspect I noticed was kind of missing that I wish they did. Mm-hmm. But something, like you said, counseling for me, that's something that the church I go to now, River mm-hmm. Point, is mm-hmm. growing. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, that's it was awesome. something that I, when I heard that, I was like, that's so good because that's people need it. And that's, I think that's why I um, realized and just am compelled that I want to be a counselor who is a part, like, a church's counselor that's not open to just the congregation, but open to anyone. Mm -hmm. That's a community. Yes. Yes. Because I feel like that also can open a door for Mm -hmm. maybe a deeper conversation, you know, and they can get interested in the area that they're at, and they can have, and people who've had a bad misconception of the church Mm -hmm. or, you know. It's a place where love comes from. Yeah. And it really makes a huge difference when the love versus we stand by our convictions, but our love isn't as, as much as we think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good stuff. Um, so, mm, I think I'll go to the last question because I am really interested in that. What are your thoughts and opinion on what some people call the social media addiction epidemic in the last decade? Yeah, this is interesting because I feel like, there again, it was just something, you know, that was commonplace for mm-hmm. a while, and then it became a thing that people felt that they needed to just get it away, mm-hmm. you know, or life was frustrating, so they had to get on and use this social media platform mm-hmm. for a while. It was there. Mm-hmm. It was there. You could connect. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I, I think it's important, you know, you think about, you know, how long has that really been? in college, um, is when I, I used to like to take beer, a big deal, mm-hmm. you know, I was a beer guy for a 
talking towards that. And how it really was like a like a shift as opposed to hey, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go tell so and so, you know, I'm gonna go find them on campus today and tell them happy birthday. Like, oh I can just print on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and just how that has changed and I think just like anything, you can use it for that. It can be handled properly. It's yeah. like you can exercise or you know, whatever the case is, but you can use it too much and then you become dependent on it. I think for me, the whole social media thing is where it has caused the um, physical disconnect. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't think we really realize how big of a deal that was until uh, COVID happened because we thought, okay, this is enough. You know, I can do Snapchat and my friends. I can send them an um, uh, direct message on Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. And we're good. No problem. But when we were forced to stay at play mm-hmm. and only have a few friends, we're like, you know, this isn't enough. So I think that that has helped for us to see how much of a problem social media is. And it's not so much that it's not bad or a bad thing. Yeah. Either it can be a good thing. It doesn't have to be a negative. It doesn't have to be all the taking the end of the day before you go to sleep if you want to get on TikTok for a while. Mm-hmm. There's nothing morally wrong with that. No. But just like anything, when you're using something else to make you okay, other than Jesus, yeah, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And when you are doing things that pull you away from others, that's the problem. Yeah. So I would think that it's not that this is like something evil insane. I just think it's just a new tap to ring the bell yeah. to add to all the other things. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say, like, I think the reason this subject kind of fires me up so much is because <laughs> I'm one of those people that I would categorize myself as social, like a social media addict because it's, I had no regulation when mm-hmm. I was younger in, in middle school, mm-hmm. high school when I mm-hmm. first started it. And it's only grown Especially when I got to college and I was, I mean, at Katoa, and I didn't have very many friends, and I would stay, we would do like night skates. And it wasn't, <coughs> interestingly enough, it wasn't until my fifth formation class when mm-hmm. um, my prof- professor was like, okay, like, we need like two spiritual formations for a month, or spiritual disciplines. And one of them I chose was fasting, and I fasted from um, Snapchat and Instagram, like all my social media things. And mm-hmm. By the end of it, I was like, wow, I'm addicted. Like, I definitely am. Um, because when the month was over, I didn't want I didn't want them back. I was like, I have no, there's no desire here. I don't know why I liked it. Mm-hmm. Like, it was almost kind of like I was cleansed from it. Sure. And that I know that's definitely not the case for everybody. Because I have, like, sisters who, have like, live their life and mm-hmm. are on social media. And it's like, no problem in their life. But for me, I've noticed, I mean, I... It affects my relationships. It affects mm-hmm. my schoolwork. I mean, yeah. everything. Yeah. I get so almost like a zombie, and yeah. it's dependent. So, yes, <laughs> yes. I get dependent on it, and mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. For for some people, you know, like me, I think it's something that's just not good. And I mean, I could go on a spiel about it all, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's super interesting that it can be. So, would you say that it can become an addiction as much as like other things can oh, yeah. that's not like genetic i think so i think so there again you know going back to taking those the definitions of it coming out of the earth it was not anything other than our water that changed to achieve a desired effect mm-hmm. and most definitely um you know going through instagram to have that feel good or you know see yeah. everybody else is doing and it adds to something else to do yeah that you have yeah and so again i think you can just see this is damaging and there's other things emotionally mm-hmm. and mentally you know being able to um, hurting you as much physically as drugs alcohol um, food Yeah, I didn't even notice, like, I didn't even realize that this 
something that it could even be categorized, at least for me, as like an addiction because, you know, after like being a psych student, you mm-hmm. start to learn the diagnostic criteria mm-hmm. of like a disorder or an addiction and I was like, okay, this is impairing my daily functioning. This is impairing yep. my relationships. Yep. Like, oh no, don't tell yeah. me all this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was very interesting and, and eye opening. And now I'm, you know, it's it's a roller coaster. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely not where I used to be, where I would spend hours. But sometimes I do like I put boundaries on myself, and I said, okay, I want to keep my friends and family updated about any drama that gets in my could post or my monthly pictures. And I do backtrack, mm-hmm. but I'm starting, especially after learning more about habits and how to change my environment mm-hmm. and accountability. Mm-hmm. I'm like doing, I'm taking the steps and doing the steps to not go back to that because I realize mm-hmm. I value my real life versus this, a lot of the content that I view on Instagram and like things to make me feel better. I'm like, I want to get more out of here. So yeah. for me personally, it's been really good and I'm, I'm excited for like the journey of getting better and doing more in my life. And That's awesome. All that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, um, I guess to end is what is what would you say is the last thing that you'd want to say to anyone listening about everything we've talked about? Well, I think if anybody's listening who is struggling with addiction, um, don't go on TikTok and get addicted. I think that's something you need to think about because there's a lot of people who are really cool like Steph and Grace Gibson, um, but someone who's out there facing addiction, they say to people challenge and get the help that you need deserve um, and you need um, don't be afraid to get started there's the people who don't want to let you down there's the people who want to tell you that you're beautiful I want to get back to that place where I was um, in high school and I hit my head on a rock and it's like man I wish I got trained I wish I could have been there but I wanted to get better at it mm-hmm. um, so if you're struggling don't be shy to speak up about yourself mm-hmm. um, students that are listening to right now in case it was on the phone um, we want to thank you for help and I think that that's a big piece of advice yeah no I'm sure it's, it's definitely an encouragement and thank you for sharing that and it's I mean being a life coach is like it's free now Yes, yes, because that may not be the case, so I want you to leave here. So, thank you so much for downloading. Thanks for having me.